I want to just begin this morning by sharing with you that everything that is about to be spoken could be a message on a certain subject and we could have a, a, a discipleship type of message on this subject, helping you to understand and learn from the Scripture. And I do believe that that is partially what God is speaking on. But I believe that God gave me a specific word this week. And that He has called me to deliver this word in a way that is not just learning, but it's something that He is calling us and calling us to do. And so I pray that as you hear the word of the Lord, that it will not be knowledge or education, but that you will hear God speaking to you and saying that this is what I want of you for such a time as this. Can I just tell you that I am so thankful to be alive in such a time as this because God has put me and each of you here for today. I could have been born when Jesus walked the earth. I could have been born during major persecution as the book of Acts was written. I could have been born during, in a whole other country right now where persecution is going on. But God allowed me to to be born here, and to be here today for this purpose. And I rejoice that I am here today to share the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Brother Fred has had two messages over the last two weeks called A Death of a Nation, The Wrath of Abandonment. I even, and this is not a joke, I even wore this black suit today because When you think of a death, you think of a funeral. And I want you to know I'm mourning. I want you to know that that I am mourning over the circumstances and the situation that our nation is in today. And as he began to preach this message, the Lord took him to a scripture in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. And I want to read this, and then I'm going to share my life verse, and we're just going to let the, the voice, the word of God just go forth. This is the scripture that Brother Fred has preached on the last two weeks, and I really believe that today would be part three of that message. And we did not come together and decide this. It says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, I searched for a man among us who would build up the walls and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Thus I poured out my indignation on them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declare the Lord. And Brother Fred asked this question, who will stand in the gap? And I believe that every, most every person here at Luke 4.18 is saying, I will stand in the gap. I truly believe that when y'all came down and were weeping and crying out to God last week and this altar was filled with people, with souls of men who have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb and want to stand for the kingdom of God, I believe that you were saying, God, I will stand in the gap. 
You had a moment where he said, who, who, who will go? Who can I send? And we said, here am I, Lord, send me. And so this week, the Lord has spoken to me and said, how to stand in the gap today? And so the message today is this. If you are saying in the last two messages, you're saying, David, I, I agree with Brother Fred. I'm going to stand in the gap. I want to be that person. When the Lord looks over this nation, I want him to see me saying, God, here I am. Send me your servant. And if it costs me my life, praise God that the blood of the martyr is the seed to revival. And so, God, if you are called, I, I, I will stand in the gap, oh God. And if that is you today, if you're there, and I pray you are, because if you're not, this message will just be knowledge to you. But if you're there today, then this message will show you what God has spoken for us to stand in the gap. And so as we start this morning, let me just share with you my life verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, My preaching and my teaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of man, but yet on the power of God. What's about to be spoken today, you must hear from God, not from me. I want you to open up your scriptures to the book of Joel. Yes, it's one of the minor prophets. I want to thank the children's ministry for being in here this morning. And y'all will understand why here in a few minutes. I also just want to thank... Coach Eric Collier for being here today, the coach for Theodore Football, means so much that you would be here to support us and to support me as I bring the word of God. That's a man of God standing in the gap. I want to thank the Mission of Hope for being here, Jim for standing in the gap. There's no coincidence why you're here today. In Joel chapter 1, I'm just going to kind of let you understand this. We're going to get to verse 13 here in just a second. But I want you just to see in chapter 1, the very beginning, what you see is that the land, Judah, the, 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 the southern kingdom, is in desolation. They have been overtaken by different armies. They've been overtaken by a locust plague. Some theologians say that maybe that's another army. Maybe it's actually a locust plague. Um, just the other day I was walking around and a locust flew on my buddy's back. And I'm sitting here like I'm studying Joel. Maybe God's telling me it was a legit locust plague. But here's the thing. We have, like, the locust plague has, has, has come. And, and, and it says in verse 4, it's crazy, uh, four different kinds of locusts. I mean, one after the other after the other. And what one didn't take, the next one took. And what that one didn't take, the next one took. And so the nation of, of Judah, the southern kingdom, is, is basically going through judgment and wrath because they had turned from, from, from God and, and turned from following Him. And you say, well, David, what are the prophets all about? I can tell you what the prophets are all about in just a few words. The prophets were saying, either shape up or ship out. Either shape up and turn your hearts back to God, or, or you will be uh, uh, removed. For the northern kingdom, the, the, the kingdom of Assyria came down, and they took over and then uh, placed them all over, scattered them abroad. For the southern kingdom, they came from, from Babylon, they came over, 
and put them into exile for 70 years. The prayer that we just read in Daniel chapter 9 is the prayer of Daniel repenting for his nation because of what they had done during this time. And so the southern kingdom is in turmoil. The southern kingdom, it says in verse 9, the grain offering, the drink offering have been cut off. It says in verse 10, the fields is ruined and the land mourns and the grain is ruined and the new wine dries up, fresh oils fail. It says, be ashamed, O farmers. Well, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the fields is destroyed. The vine dries up and the fig trees fail. The pomegranates, the palms also, and the apple tree. And all the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. So they believe also that a drought, a severe drought had taken over because of it talking about drying up. But then the voice of God speaks to Joel. And I want you to see this in verse 13 and 14. In the midst of of judgment, in the midst of wrath, in the midst of all this going forth, here's what is said. Gird yourself with sackcloths and lament, O priest. Well, O ministers of the altar, come spend the night in sackcloths, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast and proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. As I began to study that, and as I, I'm telling you, like I'm, I'm asking the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, show me what you have for the people of God at Luke 4.18 on this day. As I'm preparing and seeking God, He begins to take me. I didn't go there. I didn't have Joel in mind. I, I, I don't think about Joel that often, and neither do probably y'all. And so I was like, I didn't have Joel in mind, and the Lord took me literally to Joel chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. How do we stand in the gap for a nation who is running away from the king? How do we stand in the gap when we look out at an election period that we can't even let our little kids watch because of the things that are being said? How do we stand in the gap when all the, 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 the pollings and all these things and, and all this stuff is coming out and we're, we're so concerned and fear begins to kind of grip our nation and say, well, what's going to happen if this person's elected? And what's going to happen if this person's elected? And what's going to happen here? And, and, and what are we going to do? And the Lord has told me, He said, hey, you're focused on the wrong thing. Fox News will not save you and CNN will not save you. It will give you fear. And I'm guilty of turning on the news looking for answers. I'm guilty of turning on the news waiting to see something good. And the Lord took me to Joel chapter 1 verse 13. Gird yourself with sackcloths. Let's stop right there. What are sackcloths? All throughout scripture we see this idea of sackcloths. Of of removing the, the nice dress. Removing the clothing and placing on sackcloth. It is a sign of humility. It is a sign of of literally coming before the, the Lord with nothing. 
Like getting to the point where you say, God, if you don't move, I have nothing. I can do nothing. Like getting to the point where you say, God, I don't know what to do about the nation. I don't know how to pray about the nation. I don't know what to do. But God, are we there yet, church? Are you still trying to get a glimmer of hope over here from this or from that? Or are you at the point where you say, the only hope I have is in Jesus Christ? No, honestly, are we there? Are you there? Because I believe that for us to come before God with sackcloth and ashes, then that means that we must truly humble ourselves before an almighty God and say, God, I have nothing to bring except for my life, which you have graciously given to me. Like, I have nothing, oh God. I cannot fix the situation. I cannot take care. I cannot do it, oh God. And we come to Him and we say, God, only, only You. You know, I think about praying and, and I just love to lay before God. Some people stand, some people kneel, some people lay, some people, you know, you just do as the Lord leads whenever you're praying. But the reason I love to lay whenever I'm crying out to God is this, is I feel like it is the, the, the greatest place of humility I can be. Because I cannot defend myself when I'm laying down. When I'm laying down with my head in the ground, I cannot defend myself. If, if a king of this nation, and we go back like, like old school, and let's say they had like a sword. If a king wanted to take my life while I'm laying before a king, he could take my life and I could do nothing. And the reason that I like to come before God and literally just lay before God is because it is a place of complete humility in my life. Saying, God, I have nothing to bring. And I'm crying out to you. And I'm coming to you. When you think about this idea of humility, I just want to just briefly share with you this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, it says this, and you might just want to write these down. I have a, a lot of scripture this morning. A lot of scripture this morning. And so just write them down. I'll, I'll email them to you. If you don't have time to write them all down, I'll get them to you, I promise. But just, just bear with me because we've got a lot to cover. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry. He fed you with manna which you do not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but lives on every word that precedes the mouth of the Lord. Listen, he led them in the desert. Why were they in the desert? Because they were disobedient in going into the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy is written by Moses. It's like three messages of Moses to remind them before they go into the promised land because they are just now finishing their stint in the wilderness. Listen, in the point that... that that they have wandered, or they have been led, excuse me, it says they were led. As they were led through the wilderness, they were disobedient, but God used the wilderness to bring them to a place of humility that they would trust God and not man. He brought them to the wilderness so that they would remove everything to the point that all they had was God. I believe that God has gotten us to this point today to where the church can only say, all I have is God. I got no other hope. I got no other chance. 
Like there's nothing else that will save me but God. And man, when you go throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament and New Testament, I'm excited to be at a place where all I can say is but God. Because let me tell you something, my God has the final say. Let me tell you something, this nation, even if they turn their back on God completely, and they say that we're going to persecute Christians, and we're going to do all these bad things to Christians, and all these different things, hey, my God's got the last say. And we need to start living like that. We need to get excited about that. Like, there's no better place than to be at the place where all we can say is, all I got is God. But I think that the evil one has built a false belief system in our hearts, in our mind and in our hearts, and has said, well, well, if, if you can't provide, if you can't do this, if, if you don't have food, if you don't have that, hey, God can drop manna today just like he did back in the day. He can give us manna today to feed and to eat. But let me tell you something that we will learn. We only live by the word of God. Guys, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to put on sackcloth and ashes. It says, gird yourself with sackcloth. Let me just remind you also about humility. And I'm just going to share these real quick. But in Matthew 23, verse 12, it talks about he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And there's two examples of this in Scripture. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and on, talks about Jesus humbling himself, emptying himself. It says, have the attitude which is in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. It says, who although he existed in the form of God, get this, get this, verse 6, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's powerful. Verse 7, it says, but emptied himself. You want to you humble yourself? Empty yourself and say, God, I ain't got nothing else. Emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, even and being made in the likeness of man. In verse 8, it says, he humbled himself to the cross. He says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God's called us to humble ourselves, put on sackcloth. And I'm not going to take you all there today. You don't have to put it on the screens. But Isaiah 14, 13 through 15 14, 13 through 15, shows you Satan when he decides that he's going to lift himself up and he's going to make himself arrogant. He's going he's to exalt himself. And guess what God does? He said, I'm going to throw you down to Sheol. God's calling us as a body of believers to put on sackcloth and ashes, to not come and just sit there and try to be all prim and proper and say, God, I got it all together. I got it taken care of. When you've got burdens and pains on the inside, but man, I got it all together. I'm ready to go. And God's saying, come and fall on your face. You ain't got it all together, and only God can do it. Number two, it says, and lament, O priest. It says, gird yourself with sackcloth and lament, O priest. It says, we are called to mourn over the sin in our own life and the sin of our nation. Guys, I have literally gotten to the point where all I can do is weep over this nation. It says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. All throughout the Old Testament, God tells the nation of Israel to mourn the sin of the nation. 
to mourn, to cry, to weep. Hey, let me just tell you something. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to get to the point where you say, God, I'm literally just falling before your throne in all humility. And God, I am weeping because this nation is running away from the great I am. I weeped over this message to bring it to you because the reason I'm having to bring this message to us is because the nation has turned from God. We must mourn. I don't want to take a lot of time today on mourning or even humility because I believe that the place where we've got to really focus today is this. It says, well, O ministers of the altar, it says, come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. But it says in verse 14, consecrate a fast. If I were to ask you, and the reason that we ask the students to be here today is because we're going to get to in chapter 2 where it says, assemble everybody. It says, all people, including the children, I believe we're at that point, that dire of a point, where we must assemble everybody together and we got to cry out to God and consecrate a fast and call out to the king. And so we ask the children to be here this morning over here on my left, you're right. So let me just show you, I got so excited but so overwhelmed at the same time studying fasting. Because I believe, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to, to, to say anything that, that's going to hurt your feelings. But God's about to speak, not me. And I believe that fasting is probably one of the areas or the least practiced area in the body of believers. You know why? I think because it's painful. But I want to just walk through what you see in Scripture. And I'm going to share these verses. Y'all don't have to flip over. There are so many. Did you realize? I mean, do y'all know how many times fasting is mentioned in the Old Testament and New Testament? Goodness gracious. In the book of Ezra, verse 8 through 21, I want you to see this. I think you'll be on the screens in just a second. The next one I'm going to is Nehemiah after Ezra. But in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, do we have it? It says this, And I proclaimed a fast there at the river, Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God. I called a fast that we would humble ourselves before our God to seek Him for safe journey for us, our little ones, and all the possessions For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorable, disposed to all who seek him. Disposed to all of those who seek him. But his power and anger are against those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter. And he listened they, they came together, they fasted, they, they, they put on humility, they fasted for humility and fasted and asked, asked the Lord to protect them and to be their provision. Is anybody a little bit afraid of what's going to happen in this nation? Maybe we need to be fasting and asking God for protection and provision over our life and over believers' lives. And he listened 
in Nehemiah. Go on to verse 4 for me. Nehemiah verse 4, it says this. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. All right, we see it again. Mourning. What's he mourning over? Right before that, we're not going to, we'll just do the time. Right before that, Nehemiah is told about the desolation of his city. He's told about what's going on with the walls uh, at Jerusalem. He, he's, he finds out that, that his city lays in ruins. And he says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When you heard how crazy this world has gotten, did it drive you to your knees to start crying out to God and fasting for this nation it did nehemiah and i said i beseech you O lord god of heaven the great and awesome god who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments it says in verse six let your ear now in verse six let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel your servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel which we have sinned against you I my father's house have sinned hey he is now confessing it through prayer and fasting and mourning he's confessing the sins of the nation He's confessing his own personal sin. He's confessing the sins of the nation. Are we getting on our face, fasting and praying and saying, God, I want to confess the sins of this nation. I am going to stand in the gap for this nation. Verse 7, it says, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments. Oh, that sounds like America. Nor the statue sounds like America. Nor the ordinances sounds like America which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. Verse 9, it says, But if you return to me, hold the promise, hold the promise. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to, to cause my name to dwell. Verse 10 and 11, it says, They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. God, listen to the prayers of the people of Luke 4.18 because we revere your name. And make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. So what does Nehemiah do? He's a cupbearer. He's not allowed to show any type of frustration or anger or hurt on his face because he is the cupbearer of the king. And if he did show any type of fear on his face, the king would say, well, maybe my my drink is poisoned. Maybe there's something wrong with my my, my food or, or whatever. And so when he showed up with a gloomy face, the king said, what is going on? And he said, how can I be excited and happy when my nation is in ruins? And you know what the king did? Come on, you Bible scholars here, what'd the king do? To the children over here, what'd the king do? He gave them permission to go back and rebuild the land, right? And Nehemiah went back and brought people with them, and they start rebuilding Jerusalem because he stood in the gap for his nation. And where did it start? Mourning, praying, and fasting. How many of y'all like the story of Esther? 
Esther chapter 4. And we're going to start with verse 15 here. In Esther chapter 4, verse 15, let me, just, let me just kind of remind y'all what's going on. Esther needs to go before the king because the Jews are about to be annihilated. The nation of Israel is about to be taken out. And so Esther's like, if I go before the king, I could lose my life. And you know, Mordecai is like, hey Esther, let me just let you know. If, if you don't go before the king, you're probably going to lose your life. But if you go before the king, you got a 50-50 shot. And because... Esther had to go before the king knowing, knowing what the king and the people could do to her. Hey, let me tell you something. Are you a little bit afraid about standing for the gospel because you're fearful of what this nation can do to you? But for such a time as this, Esther told them, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai in verse 15, verse 16. Go assemble the Jews. Go and assemble the nation. Go and assemble those who believe in, 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 in the word of God. It says, go and assemble them who are found in Susa and, and fast for me. Fast for me. What are we fasting for? That she will have favor when she goes to the king to save the nation. Fast for me. Do not eat nor drink for three days, night or day. You say, David, how in the world did she do that, God? For three days, night or day. And I and, and I and my maidens also will fast the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Hey guys, if I perish, I perish. If you perish, you perish. But it says in Philippians that for us to live is Christ, for us to die is gain. Hey, we got something a whole lot better brewing on the other side. In verse 17, it says, So Mordecai went away and did just as he was told. Let me tell you about the outcome. Some of y'all might have seen the movie, A Night with a King. Let me tell you about the outcome. She goes before the king. Instantly could lose her life if he doesn't extend the golden scepter, right? And she walks out. But the people have been fasting and praying before God. And he extends the golden scepter. And the Jews are saved. Hey guys, are you going to be in the gap? Are we going to begin to fast and pray? We, we, we see in Ezra that they fasted and God answered. We see in Nehemiah they fasted and God answered. We see in Esther they, that they fasted and God answered. Oh, let's continue if y'all don't mind. 1 Samuel chapter 7 verses 3 through 6. I love this. I love this scripture. I've already shared it with y'all before. It's just so cool to me. Let me just remind y'all, we have an enemy. In Ephesians 6, it says that it's not of flesh and blood, but yet it's against demonic warfare. It's against the principalities of this world. It's against Satan and, and, and his demons. They're coming after us. Oh, oh and, and also Samuel and the nation of Israel had an enemy. They were called the Philistines. And let's see what happens. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove your foreign gods. Asherah from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you from the hand. So the sons of Israel removed Baal and Asherah and served the Lord alone. In verse 5, Then Samuel said, Gather all of Israel to Mithpah, and I will pray to the Lord for your sake. 
They gathered there and drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted for that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the sons of Israel there. Let's go to verse 10 now. Skip all the way over to verse 10. So they fasted and they prayed there. And in verse 10, when Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to the battle against the Israel. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I'm fasting and when I'm praying, I don't want an enemy to come alongside of me because I'm probably not going to be, I'm going to be pretty vulnerable in that moment. But the enemy begins to come around and it says, but they drew near to battle against the Israel, against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines, and they were confused, so that they were routed before the Israel. Hey, do y'all see what just happened? They fasted and they prayed. They didn't come against the nation of, uh, of Philistines with, with, with a gun or with a sword. Or No, they came against the Philistines with the great I am, the King of kings and Lord of lords, by fasting and praying and calling out to the king. And he showed up. The last one I want you to see here is Daniel chapter 9. Now we read the prayer of Daniel, but before we read the, the prayer of Daniel, I just want you to see verse 3 and verse 4 of Daniel chapter 9. It says, so I gave my attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, and so we know what the prayer says because I read it earlier, but He fasted and prayed and He cried out and said, God, You have all authority to basically annihilate us. You have all authority to bring forth your judgment. But God, I know that you are slow to anger and your loving kindness. And God, I ask that you will hear the cry of your servant who is standing in the gap for the nation of Israel. God, remember what you've promised us. And God, use me in the gap. And I cry out and I ask for forgiveness. And guess what happens? We begin to see the nation of Israel return out of exile. We have three waves. Nehemiah, we just talked about fasting and praying. Ezra, we just talked about fasting and praying. And then Zerubbabel, who comes back and rebuilds the temple. Nehemiah, the wall, and Ezra brings the people. And Daniel prayed and fasted for the nation. Will you stand in the gap? But the Lord also showed me that there's some improper ways of fasting. Can I just share this with you real quick? When the Lord puts on your heart, because listen, this is not like just an informational message. This is a, God is calling us, if you're going to stand in the gap, to put on sackcloth and ashes, to mourn over our nation, to fast, and to cry out to God. But let me just tell you something. As the Lord shows you what to fast in your life, we don't fast sin. We repent from sin. You don't say, well, God, I've been struggling with this, so I'm going to give it to you, and that's going to be my fast. Oh, no, you repent from sin. You don't fast from it. But let me just also share with you that when fasting becomes traditional, you've missed it. In Zechariah chapter 7, and we'll start with verse 3 through 6 of Zechariah chapter 7. And just for short of time, we'll go from there to 12 through 14. Speaking to the priest who belonged to the house of the Lord and to the prophet, saying, Shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain, as I have done for so many years? You know, we can be, Baptists are known to be traditional sometimes. Hey, I've done this for so many years, on the fifth month. 
Then the word of the Lord of the hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fast and mourn in the fifth and seventh month, these 70 years, it was actually for me, it, was, it is actually for me that you fasted. When you eat and drink, do you not eat your, for yourself and do you not drink for yourself? Skip over to verse um, 12. In verse 12, they made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. We, verse 13, and just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 14, but I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations from, from whom they have not known. Thus the land is desolate behind them, so that no one went back and forth, for they made the, the pleasant land desolate. He says, hey, I'm not going to listen to you. I ain't going to listen to you. If it's just a tradition, if all you're doing is saying, well, God, I'm giving this up for you, glory be to God. God has called us to fast. Fasting means that we remove out of our life and replace with mourning, weeping, crying, and prayer over whatever we're fasting for. Let me just be real with y'all. If you say, David, I'm going to fast from sunup to sundown, but you never get into a time of prayer and crying out to God, is it really worth it? All it is is you going hungry. God has called us to go and to weep over this nation. Don't just sit there and say, well, David, I'm going to fast uh, uh, lunch every day, but I'm not going to go and take that hour and pray to God. You missed it. You totally missed it. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, it says this, Thus says the Lord to his people, Even so they have loved to wander, they have not kept their feet in check. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquities and call their sins to account. So the Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of these people. When they fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. You know why? Because it says right there in the beginning, they wandered and they did not let their feet go according to the words of God. You're sitting here walking in sin and you're, you're, just, you're, just, you're okay with the sin in your life. God's not going to be listening to the fast and the prayer. We've got to humble ourselves. That means lay down everything. We've got to come in sackcloth and ashes and not say that everything is okay. And we got to say only God. In Matthew chapter 6 is probably one of the few references that many of us know for fasting. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 1, it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. And then it skips on down in, in Matthew chapter 6. Let me make sure I give you the right scripture. Verse 16 and 18, it says this, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they'll be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have no reward, for it is in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that when you're fasting, it will not be noticed by men, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He'll listen to you. We don't sit there and say, oh, I'm so hungry today. 
We don't walk around and say, man, I can't wait for supper time. I can't wait for my next meal. We go get a shower. We don't look gloomy. And we keep running for the king. It's not about, look at my religiosity. We have enough of that in this culture. It's not about, look at how awesome of a Christian I am. Oh, really? You really want to talk about how good of a Christian you are? Then focus in on Jesus, because he's the only thing that's good in us. Now, I want to go to Isaiah 58, and I do want you to turn here. Isaiah 58 says this, starting with verse 1. It says, cry loudly. That's a beautiful sound. It's like the breath of God just coming over this place with those papers just turning. Hmm. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgressions and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and have not forsaken the ordinances of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and we do not notice? And you do not notice. Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desires. And drive hard all the workers. Behold your fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. When you fast, you fast with your own personal desires. Oh, but verse 5. Now remember at the end of verse 4, it says, you do not fast like you do today. So what's going on today? Let's see in verse 5. Is it a fast like this, which I choose a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed, humility? And for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day of the Lord? Is this not the fast which I have chosen? Oh, look at this. Oh, God. To loosen the bonds of the wickedness? Is that not the fast that we're crying out today? To loosen the bonds of the wickedness? To undo the, bond, the bands of yoke and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Oh, God, let that be the fast that we fast for this nation. God, remove the, 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 the bands of, of, of wickedness, the bonds of wickedness, and, and remove the oppression that is over your people, oh, God. Is it not a fast like this that I choose? Verse 7. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will, spread, will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call to the Lord and He will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. God, we're crying. Lord, we are praying that this will be the fast that we truly fast. 
Verse 9, then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the fingers and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and the satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desires in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And he will be like water, uh, like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose water does not fail those among you will rebuild the ancient ruins what did brother fred ask who will stand in the gap and rebuild the wall you will raise up the age-old foundations who will stand in the gap and build the wall you will be called the repairer of the breach oh our nation has been breached you will be the restorer of the streets in which you dwell God's calling us to a fast like Isaiah 58. God's calling us, as it says in Joel chapter 1, let me read it to you again. Gird yourself with sackcloth and lament, O priest. Well, O ministers of the altar, come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers, for the grain offering, the drink offering are withheld from the house of God consecrate a fast God's calling us I believe it he spoke to me specifically this week in my study and he said I am calling Luke 418 to consecrate a fast for this nation to stand in the gap and I called my pastor who is my authority brother Fred and I said brother Fred the Lord is calling me to speak this to to the body of believers because he's my authority he is the pastor of Luke 418 and he said amen I believe that that is exactly what God is speaking to this congregation today So I don't stand here as just an associate pastor speaking. I stand here as the staff of Luke 418, guided by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, saying that it is time to consecrate a fast to stand in the gap. It says, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord, gather here and let's cry out to God and let's stand in the gap. Oh, and let's go over to chapter 2, verse 12. And I'm going to end with this, I think. But here's the thing we got to go over to chapter 2, verse 12. Now, now, if you study Joel, you'll see that 15, basically through chapter, verse 12 of chapter 2, it skips to the day of the Lord. It skips to, some people consider eschatology. It skips to a future time, and it says, oh, the things that you're going through today ain't nothing compared to what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. But then in verse 12, he comes back to present day. And let's see what he says. Remember, he's called them to fast. He's called them to pray. Put on sackcloth and ashes and repent. Even though judgment has already begun to fall in the nation. Even though they're going through perilous times and struggles. He's saying, hey, call, consecrate a fast. And look at what it says in verse 12 of chapter 2. Oh, I love it. Oh, God. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. And with fasting weeping and mourning and rend your heart, not your garments. Rend your hearts. That reminds me of Psalms 51. God's not looking for for a sacrifice. He's looking for your heart, a contrite heart. Verse 13, rend your hearts, not your garment. Now return to the Lord. Oh, I love this. For he is gracious and compassion and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Oh, but look at verse 14. And who knows? 
and who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Oh, who knows? Whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Some of y'all are saying, David, it's too late. No, it's not. You've missed the fact that but God If you say it's too late, then you aren't at the place of complete humility. Say it only God. He says, who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. God, I long for this nation to repent. Oh God, I'm broken for this nation. In the book of Jonah, chapter 3, what happens with Nineveh? Y'all don't have to flip there. What happens in Nineveh? They the, the, the king says, put on sackcloth, ashes, and, and proclaim a fast, and, and, and mourn, and repent. And then what does he say? Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Hey, it's not too late. God gave me this word. He wouldn't have given me this word if, if it was over and done. He wouldn't have spoken to me clearly in my study saying, David, this is for the people of God at Luke 4.18. we got to quit getting the lack of hope from the news and start finding the hope of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Somebody told me the other day, hey, I, I wake up in the morning and I go to the news and then I go to the Bible. And the reason I do that is to know what both sides are doing. Verse 14, who knows whether he'll turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Oh, let's look at verse 15 and 16. Blow a trumpet in Zion, the shofar. Did we not blow the shofar here not too long ago? Just because it was the Feast of Trumpets, I pulled out the shofar and I blew it because I felt like, hey, we're supposed to to blow the trumpet. I didn't know we were going here. Lord hadn't taken me here. By the way, I I have it over here. (laughs) Just in case. (laughs) Sorry, if you're on live stream, I was over there. Blow the shofar in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Oh, he's saying it again. Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation. And here's why we have the children in here. Thank you, y'all have been so attentive. That is, that is God. Amen. Thank you so much. Here's the thing. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders. Are our deacons here today or our elders here today? Yes, assemble the elders. It says, gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride come out of his bridal chamber. Hey, that's important right there. You know why? Because God's saying, this is so big. Y'all are at such a desperate time. I'm talking, this is so great that you need the children here. You need everybody here. And the bride who's waiting for her groom, the one who's sitting there just just doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing, she's waiting for him. Oh, it's bigger than that. So you got to come out. you got to come to the church. you got to come to the house of God because God wants to meet with us right here and He wants to go forth with us. Verse 17, Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. 
And do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? Well, let me tell you something. This nation's going to start saying, if they think they can run over us, and they think they can do stuff to the body of believers, they're going to start saying, well, where's your God? Oh, I got a word for you. My God's coming. And even so come. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come. And so today, this is what the Lord has spoken. He's called us to go back to the book of Joel. And you say, David, the book of Joel is for for the nation of Israel. Yes, but what does it say in Ephesians? The mystery is great, and that is this, that we serve the same God and that we're grafted in. We're, We're grafted in under one king, one Holy Spirit. And so God is speaking. Listen, the Old Testament is still relevant today. He dropped it on me this week and said, you are to proclaim this to the people. And so here's what we're going to do today. I know we're late, and, and listen, I apologize, but this is the end of this series, and all three times we've just been consistently late. But here's what we're going to do. Like, I'm just being as real as can be. I think that it's time for us to humble ourselves before an almighty God. I think it's time for us to weep for this nation. And I think it's time to consecrate a fast. You say, David, what kind of fast? I'm not going to tell you exactly. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm fasting from sun, from sun up to sundown every day. From sun up to sundown. And you say, well, well, what is God calling us to do? I ask that you pray and ask God what he's calling you to do. I can tell you another thing I'm going to fast, and that's the news because I don't need it anymore. I'm fasting up. From now until the election, I will not, I'm not, I'm not going to turn on the national news. I'm not going to turn it on. I don't need it. Because I know who wins. God does. No other candidate, God wins. But God's calling us to a fast. And I believe that the fast is from now until after the election. I do. I believe that God has called us to fast for this nation. Are you going to stand in the gap? Let's be real. You're going to stand in the gap. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to to blow the shofar, and we're going to consecrate a fast here. And I'm going to ask that if you feel called, and hey, I I have a feeling there will probably be a lot of people in here, but if you feel like, hey, David, God's called me. I'm standing in the gap. I want to ask you to, to, I know this is hard for some people. If you can't do it, I understand you can do it right at your seat. But I'm going to ask you, hey, the altar is going to be open. I'm going to ask that we at least kneel before God. There might not be room for everybody to literally lay before God. And I, listen, if you, if you don't feel comfortable, if that's not you, that's fine. You do what the Lord's telling you to do. But I'm telling you what the Lord has spoken to me for us. And I believe that, that starting, and I'm telling you all, I believe starting tomorrow, and the reason I say that is because I want you to pray over God, what am I supposed to fast? I've been fasting for this message And now that the message is over, I'm going to start my fast up until the time of... And I don't talk about my fast. Nobody knew that I was doing that. I don't talk about it, but we're we're consecrating a fast together as a body of believers. And and I'm calling, I'm, I'm starting tomorrow, I'm starting that fast until the election. Until the end of the election. And I'm going to stand in the gap. And God's called us to stand in the gap. And so as I blow the shofar, 
That's us consecrating a fast. And as we blow the shofar, the altar is going to be open. And I'm just going to ask that you'll come and humble yourself and cry out to God. And say, God, I am going to stand in the gap. And we're going to pray. And then after we pray and and spend that time, then then we'll take the offering and, and we're going to sing a song to leave. And then we'll be done. I promise next time I won't be late. But today, the Lord has put this on my heart and I I have to walk in obedience. And so, the altar's open. And it's time to consecrate a fast for the Lord.